arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode 217 of You Don't Know Flat. Today is April 24th, and I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be continuing our discussion of van life. So as we wrapped up the last episode, we were talking about where people park. And again, we had campsites, we had free parking, we had stealth parking, uh, and then all of the above. But stealth parking or urban camping or stealth camping, however you want to refer to it, is one of the things about van life that I find very, very interesting. Now, stealth camping vans are often designed in a way not to reveal that anybody is sleeping or living inside them. Uh, some of the most common tricks that stealth campers use is they use white cargo vans that look like the utility vans that you see on every street corner, every plumber, every electrician, every delivery van that looks like a plain white unmarked van. They design their vans to blend in with those. So the regular person driving down the street would not pay attention, would not notice this van parked on the side of the road, which may have what appears to be a very luxurious looking sleeping accommodations inside it. Now, the reality is that being truly stealth is almost impossible because there are some telltale signs to camper vans. Um, one of the most common things that people add to vans are roof vents. And so if you know what you're looking for and you look at a van and it has a roof vent, especially if it's a max air roof vent, which appears to be the most common brand used by stealth campers, that's a pretty good sign that someone is staying inside that van. Another telltale sign are solar panels. So the average uh, plumbing van does not have solar panels on top. Now, the reality is that not a lot of people look at the top of vans. When people look at a van that's parked somewhere, I mean, when's the last time you looked at the top of a van? Of a van? Now, I will tell you this. Since over the past three months, I've looked at the top of every single van in this whole city. <laughs> like now, every van I look and I go, oh, is that a stealth camper? Is that a camping van? Um, so... It fools people that aren't looking for stealth camping vans. Uh, who does it not fool? Number one, people that are looking for stealth camper vans. And who is in that group? That could be security guards who are looking and notice that you are sleeping in somewhere. You shouldn't be sleeping. It's probably also police officers who are not dumb. Police officers know what they're looking for. And if they see these vents or things, they're going to know that there's something on top of your van. Now, by and large, what I have read is that rarely do police officers go out of their way to hassle 
stealth campers unless they are doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Uh, they're camping somewhere that's posted, clearly posted, no overnight parking. Some cities have banned overnight parking or sleeping in your car overnight, so they're looking for stealth campers, and if they see that, they may knock on your window and ask you to move along. A security guard who might be patrolling private property might see you. Now, most of those people won't bother you unless someone has called the police and are concerned because they have noticed a suspicious van. So if you park your van and back it up to the front of a business that's closed that no one has ever seen a van before, that looks suspicious. And someone's going to call the police and the police are going to come and see what you're doing. And then they're going to find out that you're in there freezing and trying to sleep in a van. <laughs> and they may ask you to move. Now, I... Um, have read stories of people being asked to move and, and police going uh, out of their way to the point where they have told people they could sleep at the police station. So I don't think they want to do this. And so don't give them a reason to do this. I think if you're parked out of the way, of course, there's so many variables in this. Um, you know, if, if you're in a small town versus a big town, if you are parked near a college campus versus parked on an abandoned road somewhere or parked in a cemetery, that's not a good idea. So there are places to park and places uh, not to park. But the whole primary goal of stealth camping is to avoid the knock. And the knock is just what I said. It is a police officer coming up to your window or a security officer at 2 or 3 in the morning when you are dead asleep and knocking on your window, waking you up, and interrogating you on what you are doing there and asking you to leave. Nobody wants to go through that. So um, the whole idea of stealth camping is to put yourself in a place where that doesn't happen. Now, one of the first things you're going to want to do if you're building a stealth camper is you need to essentially black out your entire van. One of the things this involves doing is covering your windows. So people, uh, van life, campers, stealth campers create window coverings. Sometimes these have uh, insulation on them because windows are an easy way for uh, heat and cool to leak into your van or get out of your van. And so they create these windows coverings that are either held into place by friction or sometimes with magnets that are black on the outside. And so when they are pressed up against the window, it gives the uh, illusion of the window being very darkly tinted. And so no one can see in your van and people put these up at night before they go to bed. Another thing you'll want to add is a privacy curtain. And that is a curtain that hangs in your van between uh, the back part of the van where you will be sleeping and the front two seats. So normally people will put a curtain rod that sits right behind the two captain's chairs in the the front of the van. And that would be a blackout curtain so that anybody looking in the front of the van, especially if they're casually walking by and looking, would just see darkness inside the van and they would not see uh, you living in the back. The idea is that if you are in the back of the van and have a light on, like the light from your phone or perhaps a tablet or even a small LED or reading light, that no one outside the van can see that. That's really what the key is. You don't want anybody outside the van 
knowing that there's someone inside the van. Uh, you don't want to leak light. You don't want to leak anything. That means sound. So you don't want to have a, uh, again, a tablet or a TV turned up so loud that you can hear it. Outside the van, you don't want smells, which sounds funny, but uh, if you're cooking in your van and you have a vent hood and you're, you're, you have exhaust, uh, you know, the air, the exhaust fan is blowing that out and people can smell that. And they say, well, what's that great smelling chicken coming from? And you go, well, it's <laughs> coming from that van over there. That's going to be a giveaway. Uh, and then movement, moving around inside your van. If you've ever seen a parked van that's moving around, that's suspicious. <laughs> People are going to come and knock and see what that rocking is being caused from. So uh, I have seen that setting your parking brake will help prevent that to a certain extent. But you don't want to be, you know, exercising in there and doing jumping jacks or, uh, you know, moving around when you're when you're parked for the night. You're trying to make this look like a vehicle that nobody is inside. So really, again, that's that's the takeaway there. I have seen people who have put, uh, I guess they call them decoys in the front seat, people who have bought those fluorescent construction vests uh, or a hard hat or sometimes a clipboard that they'll leave on their front dash. But anything that you put in the front of that van that makes it look like this is a utility van uh, that has just been parked for the night. I have read of people. This has always been a dream. I've read about this in books. I've seen this in movies. This has always seemed like a goofy thing, but people who would have custom magnets printed up for the side of their van. So you could put a magnet on the side of your van. Now I read some really great advice, which is something I hadn't thought of, which is you don't want to make your van look like it belongs to a company that would make it uh, attractive to rob. Like you wouldn't want to put a magnet on the side that says jewelry delivery <laughs> or I haul gold. <laughs> like those are bad ideas. I would put something that says septic clean out or something like that. I actually thought about a thing. Uh, there is a company here that will deliver cookies uh, 24 hours. And I thought, what a, what a great thing on the side of a van. I would put like insomnia cookies or, or something to that effect. Uh, you know, some sort of nighttime delivery. So if anybody saw that van, they would go, Oh, it's a nighttime van delivery. I think you could get away with any kind of cleaning service. So I used to, um, work in an office where cleaners showed up at midnight. I was working really late one time and these cleaners scared the crap out of me uh, by just barging in the front door. I thought I was going to get killed and they were, I was, I thought they were carrying, uh, you know, something terrible and it was vacuum cleaners, <laughs> but I didn't know that they came in the middle of the night. So I think if you put, you know, after hours cleaning or something like that, I think there's a lot of things that you could get away with, but again, just don't advertise like there's something valuable inside the van. I think, uh, you know, tools are a high theft item. So I wouldn't advertise a business that would be no, like, uh, you know, mechanic or something that might have tools because I think a lot of people break into cars to get tools because they're, they're easy to sell. They're easy to, to, to flip or to pawn. So whatever you do, whatever you put, that's why I was thinking food. I don't think people, I mean, I might break into a car for cookies. <laughs> 
<laughs> but most people probably wouldn't. Um, but anyway, that, that was just a, a funny uh, side note. Uh, some of the advice that I read for stealth camping is to show up after dark and leave before dawn. So if you are parked outside of a business at 4.30 in the afternoon, people are going to wonder what you're doing. But if you roll in at 8 or 9 o'clock and you leave at four, you know, 5, 6 in the morning, something like that, no harm, no foul. Uh, a lot of people say the most you should ever spend in the same place is two days. Some people say one day. Uh, you know, this is – here's an example. I live in a suburb with 30,000 people. The At night, there are two or three police officers that patrol my city. My city is not that big. Uh, my city, I believe is, uh, you know, 15 square miles, but really it's just a series of, of blocks. It, it wouldn't be that difficult in an hour to cover, you know, every, every major road. I mean, if you're just covering every major road, half an hour, maybe. Um, so for a small town cop, if they drove by a store where there is never anybody there and they see, a red van there and they drive by tomorrow and they see the same van there, they're going to know something's up. They know what their community looks like as a small town, a small city. They know what their town looks like. Um, the example I would have is there is a employee. I don't know who the person is, but they have a van and we used to call it Revelations because it is covered in all different Bible verses from Revelations. So they have all these stickers all over the van that talk about the four horsemen and, and um, you know, all, all these different Bible verses are literally stuck. The whole van is covered in it. I don't know who drives that van, but I know that van. I mean, it the the people who own that van work at a local fast food place and when you drive by people go oh there's that van and i have seen that van other places it stands out like a sore thumb that's the opposite of stealth camping you don't want something on your vehicle that stands out like a sore thumb uh, i went to go look to purchase a van the guy was late he said he would be there and it was a white cargo van we sat for 10 minutes and I probably counted 50 white cargo vans. Like I never paid attention to that before. And when I started looking, they are everywhere, but they just blend in. Our minds tune them out because we know that's not important. We know a white cargo van is not what we're looking for. If we're looking for our friend or, or looking to meet somebody. So they are everywhere, but in our minds, they're nowhere, if that makes sense. So, so just like a magic trick, when a magician looks at his right hand, we look at his right hand and he can stick his left hand in his pocket and do whatever he's doing because we are focused on what they're focused on, right? So so these utility vans just kind of fade into the background, and that's what you want to do. I really am having a personal dilemma at the moment because there are a couple of vans in my price range, but they're both red, and I just don't think that would be very stealthy thing to park, especially in a, a smaller city like the one I live in. Uh, but anyway, so again, the takeaway, make your van as inconspicuous as possible. Another uh, takeaway is open your doors as little as possible. So if you park somewhere for stealth camping, you don't want to be in and out of that van and you don't want to be getting out of the passenger 
door or the driver door and then crawling into the back door of a van. That looks weird. And if people see that, they're going to wonder what you're doing. So it's, it's best if you have a van where you can get from the front to the back while staying inside the van. If you could go in between those two front seats, that's the best because now you can get to the back. And God forbid, if something were to happen while you're sleeping in your van, you can make it to the front of your van and drive away without having to leave your van. So that that's something that a lot of those box vans and things like that don't aren't able to do that. And so that that's something that would dissuade me um, from that. So if you go, if you Google and you look up stealth camping, you can find people who recommend uh, places to stealth camp. Now you can find some of these things on the van camper apps that are out there. And a lot of these just seem to be recycled from other people's lists. So really what I've done is combined lists from several different websites. Um, and I'm just going to go through them and I, I may offer little comments on each one. Uh, the first one is legal street parking or downtown parking spots. Now, both of those are free. You can park in a residential uh, neighborhood, like, um, that, that might almost be separate, but let's just say legal street parking. For example, on main street in my town, you can park there. Um, or if you're downtown, there are meter spots that are free. Now, again, you have to know your local ordinances. You have to be able to look up and, and look for signs that say no parking, or there's street cleaners that are coming here or whatever. Um, you, you want to park in a place where somebody's not going to bother you. Now, the next one is residential neighborhoods. It is legal to park along the street in a residential neighborhood, 100% totally legal. Uh, it is also legal for that person to be afraid that there is a strange van parked outside their house and call the police, and the police will come and ask you what you're doing parked inside of that neighborhood next to someone's house. So. If you're going to park in a residential neighborhood, there are ways to do it. Again, I'm not speaking from experience. I'm only speaking from these videos I watched. But uh, I've seen people say they prefer to park in cul-de-sacs where there aren't houses. That's not a bad idea. Um, I think I would – if I were doing this, I might try to park in a neighborhood that has construction and park near a construction site so that I could look like a construction van. I don't think that would be a bad idea. And I don't think – people would call the police and say, Hey, there's a construction van over by where they're doing construction. Like, I think he would kind of blend in. The next one on the list is truck stops. Truck stops are a good place to park. I have parked and slept in truck stop and truck stops in my car before on road trips. And they're good because number one, you've got truckers. So you have people coming and going and having an eye on you. So no one's, I'm not going to say no one's going to come bother you, but uh, by and large, no one's going to come rob you in the middle of a truck stop where there are other trucks parked and people are coming and going. So uh, they're usually relatively well lit, so you're not hiding in complete darkness. I think you're, at least for me, my general, uh, my my knee-jerk reaction would be I want to hide, I want to park someplace that's dark, but if I were a bad guy, I would, and wanting to break into a vehicle, I would look for a vehicle that's in the dark, that's hidden from where people could see it. So uh, it it feels counterintuitive, but at a truck stop where people are coming, going, and there's lights, uh, I think you can blend in there. I think you could um, definitely. I have personally done this. Is is sleep? Um, it's not the quietest place to sleep, but uh, it's definitely a place where you can park and um, and, and sleep for a while. 
On the list is rest areas. I don't personally park in rest areas to sleep because if I were a criminal and I drove into a rest area and there are cars parked there at night, I know what's going on. I know that there are people sleeping in those cars. And, uh, you know, if you saw, let's say, a laptop in, in a passenger seat, um, not a good idea to leave your laptop there, but someone could bust your window and grab it before you could wake up and, and come to your senses, you know? So, um, there are people that, that park at rest areas. That's, that wouldn't be my first choice. Uh, people park at parks. There are a lot of parks that have, uh, public parking that you can park at overnight. Uh, also industrial parks. So this is a little bit more into the stealth camping idea, but we're talking about areas that for me, um, there is a little strip mall area that's kind of U-shaped, not too far from my house. And there's always trucks and stuff in the parking lot. And if I saw a truck there, I wouldn't know who it belonged to because there's so many businesses in that area. And so, and overnight there's a plumbing truck and there's other trucks. So I think you could pull into that and just kind of blend in and nobody would come, especially, you know, you're in stealth mode. You got your windows blocked. If you have any windows, you've got your, your curtain in place. I don't think anybody's going to see you and bother you. So I think an industrial park or that, that type of situation is pretty good. Uh, visitor centers is on the list. That's a common one. Visitor centers, not a, not a bad place. Trailheads. Uh, if, if, um, there are other cars there, then that's not a bad idea. If you're the only car there, then it's going to look like it's abandoned. There, there is a, a theory. Now it's not something I could do because I don't want to drive at night. Um, but I think you could do any of these very easily during the day. I think you could pull into any grocery store, just park during the day and nobody would think twice if you were there for four hours or six hours. Um, but, uh, being at night, you have to be a careful not to um, draw attention to yourself. Now, all of these, that oh, I should mention a national forest. You can park in national forests. You can use these apps. They'll tell you where you can park. Um, national forests, I believe, are free, um, but you could use the app and it'll tell you if there's a fee involved or if it's free parking and, and if there's availability. So that's an option. All the rest on this list are parking lots. Some of these are allowed. Some are not allowed. Some are genius. Uh, some are risky. Uh, the first one is parking lots of casinos. Now I have personally done this on a road trip. I parked, uh, I pulled into a casino. Uh, it was the, around midnight. There were hundreds of cars at the casino. I pulled into a parking spot. I got into the, the uh, back seat of my truck and I slept for four or five hours and had no problems. Um, I parked at a spot that was enough away. It didn't look like I was trying to be too far away from people, but it was far enough where people wouldn't walk by the windows on my truck are pretty dark. And I have a, um, a Chevy avalanche, which sits up pretty tall. So if you're in a regular size car, it's kind of difficult to see in my windows. Uh, so casinos, great place. They've got security. People see your car. They assume you're inside. Uh, it, it's just not, not, uh, it's inconspicuous. That's a good place. Uh, another parking lot, hotels, holiday inns, uh, Marriott's. Uh, now there are some hotels where you have to get a slip and put it on the dash of your car and security may come through and see if you belong there. Um, the smaller hotels don't tend to do that. 
I had a friend that worked at Howard Johnson years ago, and he was the only guy there on the night shift. And I guarantee he did not go outside and look at people's cars. Um, so I have also done this. I have parked in hotel. Uh, I, I should say this. I, I used to do a lot of road trips by myself, and a lot of those road trips couldn't be done in one day, like driving to from Oklahoma City to Spokane, which if you drove straight through is 32 hours. Uh, my my personal cutoff was about 12 hours, so I could do Chicago in a day, but um, Atlanta was like 14 or 15 hours, or um, North Carolina was just a little further than I wanted to do in a day. And so I would drive halfway and then find a parking lot and sleep in my car for five or six hours and wake up in the morning and, and finish the drive and, and get to uh, where I was headed. So, um, I, And I probably slept in my car a dozen times or less. So I don't have a lot of experience, but I have more experience than, than some people. So, um, these hotels, I would pull into, you know, a days in or a place like that. And you pull in at, I mean, I would get there at nine or 10 o'clock at night and people are in their rooms and they're asleep. And I would pull into the parking lot. That would be three fourths full and pull into a spot. And, um, Again, I think a lot of people want to back into a spot, but I would just pull nose in just like everybody else and uh, get into the back of the truck and get under my little black sleeping bag and had no, I never had a problem. I never had anybody uh, ask me what I was doing. And then when I woke up in the morning, I, you know, would uh, make sure nobody was around. I'd slip into the, the front and then drive over to McDonald's, order some breakfast and go to the bathroom. It just wasn't, wasn't a big deal. So uh, hotel parking lots worked well for me. I think if you're in a van, it would work well. Um, hospital parking lots. Now, I'm always cautious about taking up a spot that would be um, – you know, needed by a patient's family or something like that. So I don't know that I would circle a parking lot that was full at a hospital and wait for the one spot and take it, knowing that you might be taking someone else's spot. But the, there's a hospital in my town. And when I go there, I would say on the busiest of times, one fourth of the parking lot is full. I think you could park there. Nobody would ever notice. Nobody would ever care. There are people staying there overnight in a waiting room or visiting people, they leave their cars there all the time. Um, again, this gets back to, is your van memorable? If you've got, you know, the revelations van, right. Uh, that has writing all over it. And, and I'm not, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making fun of it because it's revelations. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying because it's so unique and identifiable. Right. Um, but if you saw that van there two days in a row, you would 100% recognize and remember that van. So, if you have a plain white van, you have a normal passenger-looking van, nobody's going to remember it. That's what you want as a vehicle that people don't remember. Uh, and I think you could park in hospitals all over the world, and nobody would ever know you were doing it. Next up are what they call big box stores. Now, number one, I should have said this at the very top. If I were to say, where would you park on a road trip? Everybody says Walmart. Well, Walmart used to be... Uh, the place to park. Walmart used to be camper friendly. They used to be RV friendly and they used to be, you know, camper or sleep in your car friendly. Uh, unfortunately, what has happened is a lot of people took advantage of that. A lot of people were, uh, I read stories of people having campfires in the Walmart parking lot. They don't want that, <laughs> uh, of people leaving their trash and their litter. And so now some, 
subset of Walmarts. I, I don't know if it's half. I don't know what percentage, but some Walmarts won't let you park there overnight anymore. Now, if you are truly stealth camping and it's a 24-hour Walmart, you might be able to get away with it. You might not. I don't know. Um, but they, the security knows what to look for. They know who's doing it. And if you park way out on the edge of the parking lot and you're out there, they're going to know what you're doing and they're going to come knock on your window and they're going to run you off. So um, some people say if you call in advance and get permission at Walmart, that you know seems to work. Um, and if there's no signs posted, then that works, but, um, but it's not a sure thing. And it used to be a sure thing, but it's no longer a sure thing, but target does seem to allow overnight parking. So target is an option. Cabela's, if you've seen Cabela's or you, uh, you, you've heard of them, they have RV parking available. Uh, for free, you are allowed to park at Cabela's. I believe it's the limits one day, uh, but you can park at Cabela's, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, uh, are considered to be camper friendly type places. So there are businesses again, uh, you need to check with the, the business, maybe call, maybe check and see what the rules are, but there are lots of businesses that will let you park in their parking lot, but don't assume that you could do it. Uh, along with those big box stores are also restaurants, uh, Denny's, uh, IHOP has overnight parking for campers. Cracker Barrel has overnight parking for RVs. You're allowed to go do that for free. Uh, so there are, again, now if you have these apps and you are in, uh, you know, Tucson or, you know what? I'm just naming cities now. I don't know why would I do that, but you're in uh, Chicago or you're in New York or you're in wherever, uh, you're in Tonawanda and you're looking for a place to park. You pull up this app and it says, Hey, there's a, a Cabela's here and you can park there for free. Well, now you know that through the app, but there are, um, big places that, that allow free parking. Another thing that's on a lot of stealth campers lists are 24 hour businesses. These would be grocery stores. These would be uh, 24 hour gyms. These would be 24 hour laundromats. Uh, if a place is open 24 hours, they're not wondering why somebody's there at two in the morning. You're there because you're probably a customer. So, um, again, the rule here, blend in, uh, and don't bring attention to yourself and don't give somebody a reason to call the police. Don't give somebody a reason to ask what you're doing. Uh, if you can stay under the radar, you'll probably do just fine. Um, what else is on the list? Strip malls is a, uh, a good one. You can park in, uh, a strip mall. The one thing I like about strip malls is there's a bit of ambiguity where you park. You could park, uh, in a place. And I mentioned this, like, like the place by my house where there are four or five businesses that share a, a parking lot. And if I saw a van, like if I worked at this place, I wouldn't, I would say, I know that van's not here for me, but it's probably one of the other businesses and the other businesses would think the same thing. So I think you could get away with it in a place like that. I think the smaller the town, the more difficult this might be. I mean, if you're in a small city, I mean, in, in my town and you parked at a, at a small strip mall, it might draw attention. Again, if you do it two nights in a row, that's worse than one night. One night, you, you could probably get away with it. Um, and finally, another one that I saw on the list, and I think this is a good idea, 
uh, is apartment complexes, you know, apartment complexes where you can pull in and there's all the parking. And of course there's some parking is numbered, but some parking is just free and available. Now I got to tell you, I lived in a park, uh, an apartment complex and my car got broken into like five times and my friends and everybody I know that lives in apartment complexes has had their cars broken into. So I don't know that that's the best idea, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're desperate looking for a, a spot, one other thing that's not on this list, but I thought about when I read apartment complexes might be college campuses. Now I haven't seen that on anyone else's list, but I know that when I was going to school, uh, students had to have a pass and there were certain areas where if you parked, you had to have a pass, but there's a lot of places on campus where you, you know, if people come to visit you in your dorm and they stay overnight, I'm sure they don't, they don't get a pass or have a pass. So, uh, that's something that I should probably check into as well. It would be uh, college campuses. Uh, so anyway, that's all about stealth camping. Th that part of it is uh, the most exciting part to me. That's really something that I think that I will explore once I get my van. Uh, I'm very interested in going around, even in my own city, doing some exploring, finding places to sleep overnight. It sounds silly to, to stealth camp in my own town, um, but uh, I, I want to incorporate my idea is to incorporate uh, stealth camping into road trips is what I would ultimately like to do um, as I go visit friends uh, in other cities and in places where, uh, as I'm, I hate to say, getting older, but driving for 12 or 14 or 16 hours in a day, I just don't know that I want to do that anymore. But if I drove half that and found a place to crash for the night and then kept going now, um, it seems a little silly to drive halfway across the country and sleep in a parking lot of a hotel and not go into the hotel. <laughs> but I don't know. It's all kind of part of the adventure. So another question on my list is why do people choose to go mobile? Now, this isn't specifically about van life, although it is in, in the context we're talking about. But why do people want to live in a van? It seems like an odd thing to do. Uh, when I talk to, not my friends, because my friends know I'm weird, but when I talk to my family, when I talk to uh, coworkers and I say, boy, I've got this great idea. I'm thinking about building, you know, a, a slipshod futon in the back of a van and driving around the country and sleeping in it. They don't support that idea necessarily. <laughs> um, so from what I've gathered, from what I've read, from what I've seen on these uh, YouTube videos, um, a lot of people choose this lifestyle. So it's not, they haven't been forced into it. They haven't had some terrible accident or uh, downturn or, or lost their job or anything. They choose to do it. Now I have seen a lot of people's stories where they said they lost their normal nine to five job. And instead of looking for another traditional job or worrying about having to make a house payment, they chose to move into their van and become mobile nomads and do jobs that they could do from a laptop mobile. And, and so uh, that may be an incident that inspired their choice, but ultimately it is a choice. Uh, another thing that people do or another reason that people go mobile, I wrote convenience and I'm not really sure why I wrote 
convenience here. But, you know, as I read that word, um, I, I think more not, not convenience in, in regards to it's convenient to live in a van, but I think uh, more like I would associate that more, I guess, with, with downsizing things, you know, um, making, our lives are so full of stuff. Mine, I mean, I'm I'm the first guy where I have stuff upon stuff. If you've watched my videos, you've seen the pictures behind me. If you've seen the, if you're on my, um, I, I do an entire video on my Patreon every week where I show something from my collection. I've been doing it for over a year now, and I could do it for a hundred years. A hundred years. I could show you something from one of my collections and never repeat them. So I have a lot of stuff. And so I think, you know, it's that idea of simplifying where, uh, you know, there's the old, the old thing that Steve Jobs, I think, promoted, which was our brains can only make so many decisions a day. And so he wore the same outfit every day. He wore the, his black turtleneck and his blue jeans and his white tennis shoes. And because that's one less decision he had to make. So if we can, if our brains could only handle, you know, 50 decisions a day or a hundred decisions a day, that's not one that he had to waste. He didn't have to waste a decision on what he was going to wear. And so I think this really kind of simplifies a lot of people's lives and helps them focus on what's more important. Now, if what's more important is stuff, and in some ways that does apply to me, which sounds, uh, hmm. it, it sounds superficial, but there are things that I enjoy. I like, I enjoy my computer. I enjoy, um, you know, I enjoy shopping. I enjoy having multiple pairs of shoes to pick from. So there are things like that, that I don't know would be compatible, uh, with van life for me permanent. Now, uh, weekend trips and things like that and road trips, I think it will be, but, uh, but I think that's, that's, um, uh, kind of what I, what I was going with, with that. Uh, again, we had, uh, houseless people who have found themselves in a houseless position, uh, will move into a van. And then of course we talked about vacations, the weekend warriors, those type of people. But, the follow-up question to that is why would someone choose living in a van over other options? For example, RVs or a tiny house or a mobile home, things like that. Um, and I think the first thing I would say is that a van is the least expensive option out of all those lists. Uh, again, I've, I've been watching my local Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, and there are vans that are uh, very good candidates for van life that are in the four to five thousand dollar range, so you're not going to get an RV. <laughs> you can't get an RV for that price, but um, but it, it's much more likely you're going to get uh, a van, you know, a, that that costs less than an RV. Uh, we we watch those tiny house programs. These tiny houses, uh, you know, had budgets of fifty to hundred thousand dollars or more. Um, and, you know, there, there is an argument. And when I did an episode about tiny houses, and I believe it was Quinn Dunkey who called me out and said that um, tiny houses are not 
I'm trying to remember exactly, but but the argument was is that they're not mobile. They're not really as mobile as they are advertised, which I agree with. And that they are, I mean, once you rule that out, then you have to think, why are you living in a tiny house? Um, and especially what has happened with the tiny house movement, not to turn this into a tiny house uh, podcast, but a lot of people built tiny houses and then found out that there's not a lot of places to put tiny houses. Um, you can't, my, my city has a uh, ordinance that every house, the minimum, the entire city, you can't build a house now that's less than a thousand square foot. So if you build a tiny house, you can't put it on a lot of land, uh, that's, that's zoned within the city. You have to find some, some place that's outside the city to do that. Um, so that that's a problem, right? So there are a lot of people that built and and bought tiny houses that have them at RV parks because there's nowhere else to put them. Uh, there are – I remember reading a really heartbreaking blog. I probably talked about this on the tiny house episode of a uh, woman who built a tiny house with the intention of living in her parents' driveway. That was the intention. And so they went around and, and talked to all the neighbors and said, is this okay with everybody? And they said, yes, it's okay. And then once it was all done, one of the neighbors changed their mind and decided it wasn't okay and then called the city and they had to move the tiny house. Um, so the tiny house thing, uh, what's interesting to me about the van life is the the van life scratches a lot of the same itches that the tiny house thing does. It is still, um, you know, a very small space. It is still coming up with um, interesting and creative engineering solutions to, uh, you know, house appliance furniture configurations. That part of it is attractive to me. Um, what they have found with with tiny houses is that. Because they build them using traditional house building methods, they don't hold up to building. So you can move tiny houses a finite amount of time before all your nails come back out of your studs, before the nail heads go through your sheetrock, before you are completely rebuilding the interior of your tiny house. So the 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 dream that they were selling of having a house that you could move once a week or whatever is not the reality. Um so the other thing about RVs, uh, th there's a lot of downsides to RVs. Um, it, I mean, depending on, on what you want, right? So uh, if you have an RV, now we rented an RV. My family rented an RV a few years ago. We drove uh, from uh, Oklahoma all the way to uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico and back. And when we got to Santa Fe, the first thing we did was rent a car because we couldn't drive this RV through. We couldn't drive it to restaurants. We couldn't drive it anywhere. So we had to have another vehicle. Um, you, you know, I'm sure you've seen RVs that are towing another vehicle or whatever. Well, we drove the RV to the airport and then rented a car. So we, we had to rent an additional car. Now, so if you have a van, you don't have to do that. If you have a van, you just get in your van and you drive through McDonald's drive through and then you go back out to where you were going to park or whatever. So that's one advantage. Um, I think, uh, you know, and along those same lines, I think for a van, you have a lot more parking options. Like I think if you take an RV, uh, 
and you go park it at a hospital, that's going to raise questions. Or you go park it in a casino parking lot, they're going to wonder what you're doing versus a van where you can blend in. I don't think there's stealth RV camping. I don't think that's an option. So, um, so I, I think, you know, I would say for the, the van, people choosing vans, um, there's financial reasons, right? Uh, it's going to get better gas mileage. You could buy a van more inexpensively than those other options. You could park it in more places. Um, but on top of all that, there's also a van life community. And I think there's a spirit. Uh, I don't think I know there is a spirit that goes with the van life community. And those people don't want to drive RVs and they don't want to uh, live in a tiny house and they don't want to do these other things. They want to be mobile. They want to be in a van that can go anywhere, that could go park at the beach or park in the mountains or drive across the desert, go to Yosemite, go to Mexico, go to Canada, wherever it is, and experience life. And and there is a community of people that all have that same feeling, that same tugging in their heartstrings. And I have that pull. I don't have a lifestyle that's compatible with that pull, and I'm not willing to give up that lifestyle for that, which makes me fall into that weekend warrior category. So I want to scratch that itch, even if it's just a little bit is, is what I want to do. Um, but, but I think, um, I think if you loved painting and all you wanted to do was paint and, and you just had this draw, you know, this, this desire to paint and someone said, well, we're out of paint, but here's an etch a sketch. Uh, you, and you know, that's art. And then you would go, that's, it's not the same. It's whatever, whatever's drawing me to want to do this. It's different than that. So I think <laughs> RV camping and van camping from the outside probably appear very similar. And I think maybe it even gets into what I was talking about before where, um, you know, to, a, a time traveler, the idea of arguing about having an iPhone versus an Android phone would, would seem absolutely ridiculous. But to people that are, you know, in the stew, it, it seems like a big difference. And so, uh, I think people that are in the van life that choose to be in the van life community, uh, would not consider being in an RV. Although if you are two steps away, they would seem very similar, but I, I think they meet, uh, different needs. Um, the next thing I had on my list is how do people stay safe? Now, a lot of these things I'm about to mention are personal preferences. Uh, these are not my suggestions to you or anyone. These are the things that I have seen online. I have seen people who sleep with giant knives underneath their pillow. I have seen people that have loaded firearms in their van. Um, I I want to say this. I, I I'm not discussing my personal beliefs one way or the other on on guns and stuff, um, but I I do want to say this. Uh, the thought of being awoken in the middle of the night 
and from a dead sleep and then having to make the decision whether or not to use a firearm is terrifying to me. Um, that that idea right there is very, very scary to me. I don't want to be on either end of that exchange. So, um, but, but that is definitely an option that people are doing. Uh, there are a lot of talks about pepper spray. There are a lot of talks about tasers. So, you know, any of those types of personal defense items, I think a lot of people that are sleeping in their vans carry those things. Uh, I have also seen uh, hidden compartments. I haven't seen as many of these as I would like. And if I build a van, I would definitely have some sort of hidden compartment where I could put valuables. Um, you know, if I needed a place to stash a digital camera or a laptop or maybe some cash or something like that, I would definitely have an area that's not noticeable. Um, maybe I would get a fake, uh, doo doo can <laughs> and put a sign on it that says, this one's full of doo doo. <laughs> put my valuables in there. I could get, go to the novelty shop. Okay. I'm not going down that line anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I I think that that would be a good idea. Um, I I wouldn't be as worried about. Think about this. Think about how you feel when you go on vacation and you and you know. I used to go to great lengths to make sure people. I have all my timers set on my lights, the lights to turn on and off, so people think that I'm home. And you have people check on your house, and maybe somebody comes by to to get your mail or to do different things. Now think about. You're driving your house everywhere. So when you go in the store, your house is in that parking lot. Uh, I mean, that's kind of terrifying. It's kind of a scary thought that your stuff, everything you own is always with you. So all it takes is one person to break into your car. Uh, and, and there are stories online of people having their cars broken into while they're sleeping in them at night uh, and deterring uh, thieves. But I think, you know, I mean, that would be terrible because now you have a threat against your physical person. But uh, it would be equally as terrible to come out from a grocery store and see your window busted out or see your van slash house missing. Uh, devastating. I, I, I don't even know how, how to process that. So, um, so you know, ha having a, some sort of compartment to hide valuables so that those things aren't in view of anybody that happens to walk by and look in your van. Uh, I have seen vans that have security cameras, uh, that have uh, security cameras on the rear of their van. Uh, there are Wi-Fi, you know, enabled cameras that you can set up and, and view those from the safety of the inside of your van. Uh, I've also seen a lot of vans that either have motion sensor or manual floodlights. And so when somebody comes, if somebody's, uh, you know, sniffing around the van at night and nobody's supposed to be there, you can flip a switch and, and light up the area with floodlights. So that's not a bad idea either. So um, it's just a uh, something to think about. If you're going to be sleeping uh, and or living in a vehicle, you need to figure out a way to keep yourself safe. Safe. Um, the next thing that I had listed is apps. Now I have not installed every one of these apps. Uh, I've looked at what all of these apps do online. 
some are free. Most of them are free. Uh, some of them require you to pay to register, especially if you're um, trading information with other users. Uh, but some of the biggest ones are the Van Life app, which is kind of the go-to app that has a little bit of everything. It has parking spot information. It has camping information. Uh, it has ways to, to plot routes, all kinds of, of useful stuff. Uh, iOverlander is tied with the biggest app. Uh, everybody seems to use iOverlander. That's a good one. If you're getting into the van life community, or if you just want to go online and take a look at what these things do, that's a good one. Uh, there's a web or there's a, uh, app called Harvard host. And this is a very interesting, uh, subset of van life campers. Uh, Harvard host has a directory of, free parking that is available at wineries and distilleries uh, and maybe tap rooms. So the idea here is that you would go visit a winery and you would take their tour and possibly buy a bottle of wine, but uh, that, that you're a customer. And in exchange for that, they will let you stay overnight in your van. And so people plan tours where they travel uh, to these different places and, and do that. And that, Sounds like a great time to me. I mean, I if you if you don't, I mean, if if your idea of a bad summer is visiting wineries and distilleries and drinking and sleeping it off in your van, that <laughs> sounds like a good time to me. Uh, Gas Buddy is an app that I do have on my phone. Gas Buddy will tell you. Uh, the nearest gas stations and, and it will list them and you can sort them by price or by distance. So, um, if you're looking for gas, also, if you have diesel, uh, or flex fuel or something like that, you can, uh, find specific types of, of fuel and find out how far they are and what the current price is. Uh, some of the other ones are Wi-Fi map. That is an app that will tell you free available Wi-Fi spots, which could be, uh, very handy if you are on the road and, uh, need to access Wi-Fi, something that you can't do from your phone or something, the Wi-Fi map. RV Parky is a good app for finding uh, parking spots for campers. Park for Night is the same thing. Van Secrets is one that I have read about online. I really want to check this out, but Van Secrets, um, you know, based on the name, is all the secret camping spots that people have found while stealth camping. Now, it kind like in a way... I could see why if you or if you found a good uh, camping spot, why you wouldn't want to share it with other people. But uh, you know, I mean, you feel like you'd burn the spot, you know, if, if too many people used it. But um, but that seems like a really good one. And then the other one that a lot of people use is the Bureau of Land Management's website, blm.com forward slash maps. That'll show you all the free parking that's available in national parks uh, everywhere in the country. One of the things that I hadn't thought about when I started this podcast was the effect of not having a permanent address. Uh, I know that with some of the new voting laws that states have passed over the past year or two years – uh, and some that have been around for a long time require you to have a permanent address to register to vote. So if you move into a van full time and give up your permanent residency, you may be giving up your ability to vote. Now, I don't want to say that 
definitely. But the way that I understand it, I, I that may be the case. Uh, not having a, as they say, sticks and bricks home can lead to some other uh, complications. Uh, where do you receive mail? Now, I personally have a P.O. box, um, but to get my mail, I have to physically go to that P.O. box. So if I'm driving all around the country, that mail will, will build up until until they uh, move it somewhere else. They'll move it in a bigger bin or eventually, I guess they throw it out. I don't know. Uh, but um, So a P.O. box, I don't know if you can get a driver's license using a P.O. box as your address. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but there's just a lot of complications, uh, a lot of things. Now I have seen this, if you've ordered things from Amazon, uh, as you know, you can have things delivered to an Amazon locker. And so what a lot of people do when they are living in vans is they will have, uh, order things on Amazon and have them delivered to nearby Amazon lockers and then go there and, and pick those items up. So that's one way to get around having things shipped to you, but there, there's just, um, one of the things that I I, I want to learn more about that I, I'm not educated enough about is what are you giving up if you actually give up having a permanent residence? Now, I don't know this for a fact either, but I'm wondering if you could list your your buddy's house as a permanent residence or something like that and, and be able to get away with uh, – um, you know, being able to register to vote or things like that. I, I just don't know the answer to that, but it's definitely something um, – that you would want to look into before you sell your house. Uh, I've got a few miscellaneous things here at the end and then one big discussion. But uh, first of all, this is really just miscellaneous. I mean, I don't even know why I would say this, but uh, what I would urge you to do, if you found any of this interesting at all is go onto YouTube and type in van life. That's all you got to type in all one word van life. Um, You can type in stealth van, you can type in camper van, uh, or you could type in uh, either of those and tour. There are hundreds and hundreds of videos that people have made where they give you tours of their vans. And so if you want to see what it looks like to live in a van, and and don't just watch one. Uh, and, and I'm not saying you have to watch every second of it. You know, if you, you pull the little slider across the bottom and you see different parts, that's fine. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see, like, you know, what does it look like for someone to live in a Ford Transit? What does it look like to live in a cargo van? Um, look up one of the, the box trucks, you know, that, that that's, uh, like I said, it's a little bit out of the scope, but, but similar idea, you know. But, um, yeah, camper van, stealth van, uh, and then you can add the word tour if you want, but a lot of those will be tours anyway. Uh, there are also a lot of YouTube videos of people that will say like the top 10 things I wish I knew about, uh, you know, van life, which is always interesting or 10 things I hate about van life. Those are always interesting. So there's a lot of different things out there, but literally if you just type van life, uh, you could watch YouTube videos for a hundred months. Uh, I mean, there's just so much footage out there. Um, I, I think the stuff on Instagram is probably, uh, shorter, as I just bounce into the microphone there, <laughs> um, uh, not as in depth, like how to kind of things, but it's more about the actual van lifestyle and individuals. But, uh, but there's a lot of stuff out on Instagram. That's, that's uh, fun to go through too. 
the last couple of things I had here before I get into my final discussion was uh, the movie Nomadland. The movie Nomadland uh, was released in 2020. I think it won several awards. Um, it uh, is the story of a woman. I mentioned this in the previous episode who uh, I, I don't think it's a based on a true story, but it it could be, you know, it's, it's not really that far, far out fiction. Um, but, uh, it's a story of a woman who works at a factory and the factory closes and it's a small city and the city actually closes. They, they do away with the zip code. The city is gone and she has nothing. She has no family. She has nothing. And she has this van and she ends up moving into her van. And it's all about, I mean, if you want to see the, um, not so glorious side of van life, uh, it, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. Even if you're not interested in van life at all, it's a great movie. And you'll see, you know, what happens when a van breaks down, what happened, you know, and you see the community, the van, life. It, it's just really, really good. Uh, I, if nothing else, uh, well, of course there's the YouTube videos, but if you, if you're interested remotely, uh, go rent or watch nomad land, uh, I watched a documentary uh, in preparation for this called The Meaning of Van Life, which I also found very interesting. And it talks uh, not as much about the physical part of the vans, but it's more about the culture and the spirit of van life. And I found it very interesting. Um, so if you want to hear testimony from people about why they have chosen this lifestyle. That's a great documentary to watch. Uh, and it's available on video on demand, the meaning of van life from 2019. Uh, also if you want to, I went to the library and looked up van life and found two books and I thought they were both really interesting, but to be honest, all the information that was on the books I'd already found on websites and I'd already found on YouTube. So, um, you know, if you're a book reader and, and, uh, you want to look at the color pictures and stuff like that in a book, they're, they're great. And I enjoy And they're both called van life. Uh, one was called like a guide to van life. And one was like a camper's guide to van life or something. They're real generic titles, but, um, so they were interesting, but you know, all, all that stuff is available online too. The last little section I wrote here was kind of a section for me. And I wrote down two things. One was, why do I want to try van life? And again, when I say trying van life for me, I don't mean permanently moving into a van. I mean, building a van and going out and spending a little bit of time in a van. The other thing I wrote um, was uh, why I can't do van life permanently. And I just kind of made this bulleted list and wrote down a few things. Um, why do I want to try van life? Well, number one, like a lot of people, I've spent an awful lot of time at home over the past two years. Um, I haven't gone to work. Uh, well, let me preface that. Let me back that up. I have been working from home for the past two years. I've had the same job, uh, but I haven't gone into the office. So I haven't sat in a cube. I haven't seeing people. And so I'm feel like I'm going a little stir crazy. I feel like the van life thing would be a change of scenery. It would be something to focus on. It would be something where I got out of the house. Um, I could go on trips, you know, with my job, I have to look into more details, but I believe that with my job, I can go to other cities where we have offices and 
uh, we call it hoteling, that I could hotel out of a different office if they have available or availability. So um, my wife is currently going back and forth to Washington, D.C. There's a lot of time now. Uh, I still have one child that's in high school, so I can't do it now. But there could be a time in my future where there are stretches of time where I'm the only person at home. So, uh, you know, could I drive from here to Dallas, Fort Worth and work for a few days and stay in a van and then drive home? Maybe. I don't know. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that's, that's prompting this. Now, could I fly to Dallas and stay in a hotel? Sure. Boring. <laughs> Who wants running water and air conditioning? Not me. <laughs> um, but seriously, you know what I mean? Like it feels, this feels more like an adventure. This feels like, uh, like nobody's ever going to tell you a story sometime about the time they flew for an hour and stayed in a hotel. But if they drove for four hours and stayed in a smelly van. I mean, that's the thing that memories are made of. I'm not selling this very well. Um, but I put on the next bullet, it seems exciting. It does seem out of the ordinary. It seems like the kind of thing I would do for the adventure. Um, and, uh, you know, I have done things before in the past. I did things when I was younger and did things when I was in school solely for the story, you know? And so maybe this is an adventure, uh, again, I, I keep, uh, uh, you know, reeling this back. I don't want to make it sound like, yeah, I want to go spend six months in a van, uh, or a year in a van or anything like that. But if I were to go spend a week in a van or something like that, like, I think there are things that you would take away from that adventure. I think that would, uh, you know, there are things that you're going to experience on day four or day five of being in the same vehicle that uh, that you don't get in other ways. So that part of the adventure seems interesting to me. Uh, and again, I talked about this combining it with a road trip, having a destination, you know, not just being in the van for the sake of being in the van, but if I want to go see my, uh, to see my friend, Sean, who lives just outside of uh, Buffalo, New York, if I want to drive up there, well, I could drive halfway and stay in a van and then keep driving. And then maybe, Go see my friends that live in, uh, go see the Amigos in West Virginia or go see my friends in DC or New York. You know, I mean, it could be this kind of road trip where it's not going from hotel to hotel, but just going at my own pace and finding places to stay along the way. And, and, uh, I, I, that's appealing to me. That idea, uh, sounds kind of fun. And then I wrote this last thing, and this is a weird thing about my brain, and I don't know exactly what this means about me, but I have always liked things that are out of scale. And what I mean by that is I have always been attracted to things that are very small, and I've always been attracted uh, by things that are very large and out of scale. Uh, so the idea of an RV where everything is properly portioned and, and it's this big house on things for some reason does not seem as appealing to me as cramming everything into a, a van where the bed has to be transformed, where the place you put your shoes doubles as the place where you cook your eggs. Um, there's just something more appealing to me about, you know, it, it reminds me of, it's the same feeling of being a kid and building a tent in your bedroom of, of, you know, tossing a blanket over a couple of chairs and crawling underneath that. It's that, that kind of comforting. I'm in a small 
little comfortable space kind of feeling. Uh, would I feel that way after being in a van for a week? I don't know. <laughs> I guess you don't know until you've tried it. Um, but, but that appeals to me. Um, you know, I, I said things of both scales. I have a, um, I don't know exactly what it's made out of. I believe it's wood and fiberglass and then wrapped in vinyl, but I have a piece of pizza that is, uh, about four foot tall. <laughs> why would I have that? I don't know. Why would, why would I acquire that? Um, and, and, and it gets moved around in my garage from time to time, but it brings me so much joy to see it. And I would love to, it, unfortunately it seems pretty heavy to mount to a wall. It's not, uh, it turns out a giant vinyl piece of pizza. I mean, when I also, when I say piece of pizza, it is, um, a foot thick. <laughs> so it's not like it's a, it's not like it's thin dough. Uh, it, it's a very large, thick, weird piece of pizza. Uh, you know, I, um, <laughs> I know it's weird, but it just brings me joy to see it. And so maybe I'll, you know what, here's what I'll do. I'm going to make my van a pizza delivery thing. And I'm going to put that piece of pizza on the roof. <laughs> oh, I, oh, wow. That's a great idea. I'm going to get a sticker that says pizza planet. And then I'll just mount that pizza to the roof. Ah, oh, I've just solved everything. Maybe I can embed the solar panel in the pizza somehow. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but there is something about the van thing that's appealing to me. It's, you know, like I said, uh, uh, just that small where it's very simplified. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a spot. Um, you know, in the past when I've got collections that are so big that they've filled my entire house, our solution has been to buy bigger houses. And so I kind of like that, that. Uh, idea of a finite amount of space and just being in that small space. So those are kind of the things that make me that ap make van life appeal to me. Now, why can I not do van life permanently? Well, number one, uh, there are four people in this house. Uh, well, my son's at college, but he comes and visits frequently. So, uh, uh, you know, at a, at a minimum, it would be three people on the road that that's not going to happen. Uh, nobody, else that lives under this roof is remotely interested in, uh, staying in a, in a van. <laughs> um, the RV experience was, was fun. Uh, nobody wants to do it again right now. Uh, so I, I think, I mean, if I, if I build a van, I have to make it where it's possible for two people to sleep in it. Uh, I had a motorcycle that had two seats for a long time, so that my wife could ride with me. And I think she rode with me one time. So, but that one time it was important to have that available, you know? So I think it's important to have a van where sleeping two people is, is possible, but I don't expect that option to be used, uh, very often. Um, another reason I don't think I could do this is that I am afraid often to try things by myself for the first time. I, the grocery store by my house has a thing outside where you can refill water bottles, but I don't know how it works. And I've wondered how it works, but I don't want to go up there and try to figure out how it works. And by the way, I don't have a need for it. I don't have a water bottle to fill it, but, um, I, I went on YouTube earlier today and I watched a seven year old kid, 
uh, fill a water bottle and show how to do it. And it looks very simple. And I think that I could do it now, but I get very anxious if I'm going to go into a restaurant to eat by myself or if I'm going to, you know, go into, you know, certain stores to try to do something by myself. Uh, It just makes me anxious and nervous. And so I worry about that in regards to van life. Am I going to be, when I get to a place to park, to sleep for the night, am I going to be terrified or is it going to be exciting? And I don't know. I don't know until I get there. Um, but that's, that's one part of it that, that I'm worried about. Um, as far as a lifestyle choice, the obvious thing is that I have too much stuff and that I enjoy my stuff. I have, um, collections all over my house. Um, what I collect, this isn't even something that I, I have my heart set on. It's just something I started collecting was vintage metal, uh, lunch boxes. And I have, I, I don't know, 40 or 50 metal lunch boxes. And you know, I, I have nostalgic feelings for two or three of them. Ones that I had as a kid. And, and mostly those would be star Wars ones. So uh, I have two or three Star Wars. Like if I had to get rid of all the other ones, I would go, okay, but it's, but that's how my brain works. I got a couple of lunch boxes and I thought those are cool. And then I got a couple more and now I had to put up shelves. I have three shelves that are each shelf is 15 foot long that are all full of lunch boxes and thermoses. So that's what happens to my brain. And I enjoy the hunt. I enjoy going to Goodwill. I recently within the past year got rid of all my DVDs. I, I donated all my DVDs to um, the uh, Arcadia Retrocade in Arkansas. They have a party room. They have DVD stuff set up. And so I had a thousand DVDs and I, and I have all those on my media server and I donated all my physical media. I don't have any DVDs, any physical DVDs anymore. I go to my local Goodwill once a month. I go digging through the pile and I look for DVDs that I don't own. And right now on my desk, I have three DVDs and I brought them home and I have put them on my media server and I will watch them. And the next time I go to Goodwill, I will go redonate them. So even though I'm not, I'm trying not to acquire more DVDs, but it's still that I still like shopping for them. I still like looking for them, you know? And so that's the thing that worries me about the way my brain is wired. Is that compatible with van? I mean, that is not, let's, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. That, that behavior is not compatible with van life. I mean, you are now in a situation where, um, you know, buying three DVDs, now you got to figure out where do I keep DVDs? And also I probably wouldn't have a DVD player. I mean, I guess I would have a, a laptop. My old laptop has a DVD player. My new laptop doesn't even have a DVD player. So, uh, so what am I even doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so my, that behavior of collecting things, of going to thrift stores, of, of looking online, of, of picking up tchotchkes and all that, that has to go to zero that, I mean, that would have to, uh, drop off. And that's something that really gives me joy. I really enjoy finding, you know, magazines from the eighties. I enjoy finding these toys from my childhood and putting them on a shelf so I can see them. I enjoy guess, guess what doesn't fit in a van four foot piece of pizza. So that part of my brain that I do get enjoyment from is not compatible with, with tiny living. I, I know that. So, um, 
you know, if, if, I, I mean, I don't even know. It's just, it's just, it would never work. Um, I have more books than you could put in a, a, a van, you know, and, and even the, the thing about clothes, like when you see these videos where people say, you know, I live in a van and, and I have, you know, five t-shirts and two pairs of shorts and some underwear. And, and I think that's it. Like, like, not that I am a fashionista, you know what I mean? But I've got a lot of, uh, uh, shirts and shorts and things like that. And pairs of shoes. Like, don't you at least have multiple pairs of shoes or something? So, um, you know, saying that you're going to pare stuff down is easy, but then when you're faced with, you know, this is how much space I have and you can't take anymore, I don't know how I would, would you know, deal with that. Um, the last couple of things here, I mean, I really did some soul searching uh, when, when making this list. The first one uh, that I put on here is that I'm afraid that I might get bored with it. And so... There, there's two aspects of this. The first one is, you know, what do you do for, you know what? I'm going to talk about that one uh, here, here in a second. Um, no, I'll, I'll just talk about this now. Uh, I wrote down here, what do you do for 16 hours a day? So, I mean, let's, we're just using the average here. Like if I were to sleep eight hours a day and then you're working eight hours a day and then you're hanging out eight hours a day. Like for me, that would be time on the computer or writing or reading or things like that. Right. Um, you know, the reason I didn't want to bring that one up yet, but I, I'm going to move into this is because the, one of the other ones, one of the other two things on my list, one of the last ones, uh, is a thing that I read that I think is really good advice. Um, and it said moving into a van doesn't change who you are. And I think that that, might be. This is what I'm afraid of. Again, this is on my list of, you know, my fears about toward moving towards uh uh doing this van project is um you know, in this this article basically said, look, if you don't like hiking now, you're not going to like hiking just cuz you live in a van. And I mean, that is something I don't it's so simple, but it's it's pretty profound. You know what I mean? Like if like I don't have what you would call an outdoor lifestyle. So being in a van, I don't, I don't know that that, you know, would, I don't know how compatible that is. Like, I don't do a lot of hiking. I mean, I would like to spend a little bit more time outdoors, but I'm talking about, you know, walking for half an hour or something. I'm not going to go hike all day. It's just not what I do. It's not interesting to me. So, I mean, I'm not going to go repelling. <laughs> I mean, I might once. Um, so... I mean, when I start thinking about that, that's that's what worries me about this is that now, you know, I mean, you, you watch the Instagram stuff, you look at YouTube and you get caught up and you see these people and they're going to awesome places. But why would I be going to awesome places? Am I going to drive to the beach so I could sit there and read? Uh, you know, that's that's the part that worries me. Like, what what am I going to be doing at these? Now, I mean, if you're sightseeing or going tourists tourist places or something, then, then that's one thing. But, you know, just to like go to national parks, I don't go to national parks now. So why would I do that if I own a van? And that's really a question I, I can't answer. And that's something that maybe I don't want to answer because I'm afraid of what that answer is and, and that that might dissuade me from moving forward on this project that I've already set my heart on that I want to do. 
Um, but yeah, the moving into a van doesn't change who you are. Uh, it doesn't change your, your, I mean, it will change your life, <laughs> but it doesn't change what you like to do. It doesn't change your interests and stuff. So I don't know. That's, that's one that I've been chewing on for a long time. Um, and then the, the last one that I read, there's a New York times article and unfortunately it's behind a paywall. Uh, but it was a recent New York Times article, and it was about a reporter who was assigned, uh, given an assignment to rent a camper van, which is possible. You can rent camper vans, and she stayed in it for a week, and she had the worst experience of her life. Now, I think this writer is kind of a comedy writer, and she was playing up the the downside of it, and she had a line – uh, that I actually tweeted the other day that said, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially what she said was uh, saying that sleeping in a van is the worst part of being in a van um, really discounts all the other parts of being in the van, which was also terrible or which was also the worst part. <laughs> um so she didn't like any part of the experience. In fact, she there's a big part of her article where she woke up having a panic attack because she was so claustrophobic she was afraid the inside of the van was going to run out of air. Um, so she doesn't know how vehicles are built. But, uh, but regardless, uh, she had one other thought in her story, and she said um, it wasn't like – a vacation where you drive all day and you get to a resort or you get to where you're going. She said, you drive all day and then you sleep in the thing you've been driving in all day. So, you know, it's kind of this, uh, idea that there's no relief from the van. There's no escaping from it. You know, if you're in the van, you're in the van and now you're living in the van. Uh, and so that's, uh, e even though I have my little home office and I love it when I get bored in here, I go sit on the back porch or I go to the living room or I go out to my workshop and I do move multiple times throughout the day, um, you know, just to change the view. And so I feel like being in the van in one way changes your view because you're driving around, but at the end of the day, you're inside the same van. And so I don't know, those are the things that have given me, um, thought about proceeding with this, but my current plan, I got to tell you, is I check Facebook Marketplace every day. I'm driving everybody I know crazy because I am looking at vans. I've taken my father with me multiple times over the past month to go look at vans. Um, I haven't had great luck. Uh, I was stood up by one seller. I had one, actually multiple vans that sold before I was able to look at them. And I mean, I'm messaging people, uh, you know, within a couple of hours of these ads going live. Um, I went to an auto auction. It was a GSA. Those are, uh, government vehicles that are being uh, sold. I thought I might be able to get a van in my price range. I wrote a whole blog post about it on robohair.com if you want to read it. But the takeaway was I went to the auction with $7,000 because there were a lot of vans that were 2013. I thought I might be able to get one in my price range, but every van sold for 25 to $30,000. Um, the joke that I wrote in the blog was that the first van sold for 
$29,400. And I told my wife, even if you drop the first digit, you drop the 20,000, I would still have to borrow 24,000 or 2,400 to go with the 7,000 that I bought to buy that van. So it was not that I was only 20,000 short. I was also another 2,400 short. So uh, the takeaway was I was at the wrong auction. <laughs> that was not the auction uh, for me. But I am actively looking for a van, something along the lines of those stealth campers, maybe, um, you know, a white cargo van, a white passenger van, um, something along those lines. So and then uh, when I do then my buddy Jeff and my buddy Andy and my buddy Sean will all know immediately because I will be reaching out to them for favors uh, to help me with uh, ideas and wiring and all that. And I hope to make this a group project. And and uh, when it's done, of course, uh, Andy and Jeff live relatively uh, – I mean they live in my, my same town. And when it's done – one of my goals is to get it all together and go visit Sean <laughs> in New York. So, Sean, when I get it done, I'm coming. And then hey, don't worry. I'll, I'll save projects for you, too, <laughs> as I'm talking directly to Sean. I'll save projects for Sean and give him something to work on, too. So uh, if if and when I do get that van, I will mention it on the future episode. But until now, uh, I think you know just about as much as I do about van life. Uh, finally, you know what I did have here under the YouTube, of course I, I said, go to YouTube and look up van life and camper stealth camper and a few of those things and van tours. Uh, again, I wanted to men mention, um, uh, uh, SD Bain, uh, she, I've been watching all her videos again. She's uh, probably half my age. She's got to be in her very early twenties. Um, she is converting vans and buses right now in her backyard and it's just great to watch somebody. Oh my goodness. Noodle has joined me for the podcast. Hi, Noodle. Noodle makes a rare appearance. Normally I shut the door, but uh, Noodle has snuck in and Noodle knows that it's bedtime uh, and that means food time. So good time and Noodle. Uh, and uh, Foresty Forest is a guy you should look up. Uh, he had an older van, which is a smaller. He did a Chevy Uplander uh, and he did a great job on it. Now, one of the things about uh, Foresty Forest is his van looks very large. I believe Foresty Forest is a pretty short and and small uh, framed guy. So I don't think I would fit in the same van that Foresty Forest uh, is in. But he sold that van, his minivan, Chevy Uplander, and he bought a new giant uh, cargo van and uh, basically turned it into a camper van in the parking lot of Home Depot. So every day at Home Depot, he would go in, buy wood, he's got all his tools, and then he would drive out and go out in the parking lot and saw and hammer wood, and he literally built his his van in the parking lot of Home Depot. And, and all those videos are online. They're really uh, good to watch. Again, it's just part of that DIY thing. So, well, it sounds like a Noodle is either going to be my new co-host or it's time to go feed him. So... Uh, you now know everything I know about van life. That wraps up this two-part episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about van life or any episode of this show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405 
486-YDKF. If you'd like to find out more about supporting my show, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. I should mention that I added a new support tier. Uh, my old support tiers were $4 for the 8-bit supporters and $10 for 16-bit supporters, but uh, I did have a request for a lower tier, and I've added the Binary Bits group, which is only $2 a month. I do four podcasts a month, so that is about $0.50 cents a podcast. But don't let the low price dissuade you. Uh, every little bit helps. It all adds up. Again, I mentioned in the last episode, I bought a new UPS for the computer this month, and that came from Patreon funds. So the money from the Patreon goes into the show every month. You don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me, like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Like a DOS, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you now know a little bit more about Flack. I'll see you here next time. Thanks again for listening. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of listeners like you. Thanks to my 8-bit supporters, Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, C Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelat, Eric Strianisi, Extent of the Jam, Gabe De Janeiro, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Peron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Petzl KZ9Zap, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robot Doctor 82, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gussie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatheads Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham W. Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, Scott Van Drasen, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. 